1: Visit enterprise.co.uk forward slash business to find out more.
0: This is a game day podcast from
2: TalkSport. Hello, this is Sam Matterface and welcome to the game day podcast from TalkSport, where we look back on all the Premier League weekend action in the company of the former West Ham and City wing wizard, Trevor Sinclair, and TalkSport's football correspondent, Alex Crook. On the weekend, City knocked Chelsea out of the title race. De Bruyne, down the left, he's got the wrong side of Conte. He shrugged him aside. He's moved to the edge of the D. A he drive into the corner. What a glorious goal from Kevin De Bruyne. Is it over? Well, Liverpool still might have a say in that, but is it healthy that Manchester City are almost uncatchable in January? Jack hammered. Leeds leave their mark on EastEnders in Game of the Weekend. Dean Smith told Norwich fans to stop laughing, but you can't wipe the smile off their face as they blitz Benitez and help remove Rafa. I think the Everton fans are smiling too. All the details on that and more on the ultimate review of all the weekend action from Talksport. It's the Game Day podcast. This is Game Day. Hello to Trevor Sinclair and Alex Crook. So much to get to. Um, Good evening, to Sam. Quickly, quickly pick out one of your highlights from the the week. Uh, Trevor, do you want to just pick out your highlight of the weekend? I
3: would I would have to say it was probably the goal that the Bruyne scored against Chelsea. Uh, we was there live at the Etihad. Um, fantastic finish, but the biggest uh, memory I've got of that game was him coming off as a substitute. And yeah. Uh, <laughs> He was like he was as pink as a prawn. He was absolutely red as hell. He put everything into the game. He never. He, he's not one of them that looks elegant on the pitch, but what a what an influence he had on the pitch uh, against Chelsea. And I thought he got. Well, I thought Chelsea tried to bully him a little bit. Some of the players uh, thinking he might have been a soft touch, but stuck up for himself um, at the the most important touch on on the game. And um, it was a really well. Um, executed finish and a great win for Manchester City which for me kind of eradicates Chelsea's chances of ever being in the um, title race from here okay, on
2: so happy about that. We will Sorry. move on to it in detail <laughs> just a
4: second. Uh, Alex Crook, highlight of the weekend for you? Well, they lost but I think it was the James Ball prowse free kick. What a hit that was uh, against Wolverhampton Wanderers and it came just a few days after Danny Mills was uh, poking fun <laughs> at James Ward-Prowse on the air because, well, he should be good at free kicks. He should be able to take a corner bit harsh, Danny. Mm. Not like
2: that, I don't think. Um, here's my highlight of the weekend. It happened on the Darren Bent Boot Room.
1: I remember playing against do you remember a guy called Kevin Muscat. Do you remember
4: him? Yeah, I do remember him because okay. I spent a night with him last summer. Wow, watch, okay. <laughs> wow. Watch, is
1: PG. Watch,
4: PG, please. Wow. <laughs>
3: this
2: is a bad
4: What a crazy
2: piece of... Uh, audio that is an admission from crook uh, that he has uh, spent the night with a former international player could get very cozy did you with kevin muskett i think it might have been taken out of context all oh, right okay well there's no there's nothing wrong with that i'm um, talking of jokes a one wag joke this weekend that leeds had a couple of injuries in the first half of their game against west ham and arsenal rang the premier league for a postponement um there was a lot of frustration about the games that were called off uh, this weekend trevor um, is it a line in the sand now? Is that it now? Have people lost their the sort of tolerance factor with these games seemingly being called off conveniently? I think that's the, the sort of general feeling yeah. of people.
3: Yeah. Well, I think the, the line has been um, drawn in the sand and that is the case. Um, but until the Premier League put the ducks in a row and make it um, almost impossible to get out of games unless you're literally, you know, walking wounded where you've got no players to, to put on the field of play... I think it's going to continue. Teams are going to try and manipulate the system. Um, Arsenal have done it this weekend, I feel, for the North London derby, but teams have done that before them. Everyone's jumped on it with Arsenal, but it's been happening over the last three, four, five weeks. So unless the Premier League get their ducks in a row, this is going to continue and they need to sort it out. Yeah, interestingly,
2: I mean, there was sort of all sorts of situations that we saw unfold on social media. People pointing out that Portsmouth had recalled a... Had, Portsmouth had a player on loan from Arsenal. He was recalled, but they waited to announce that he had been recalled until the game had been uh, postponed. Um, Sonny Perkins coming off the bench for West Ham for three minutes in the match. He played in an under-23 game against Arsenal's under-23s on Friday night. So they they did that on purpose. mix
4: bubbles. <laughs> um, yeah, is this the moment where things come to a head? I hope so. But I think Ralph Hasenhüter, when he used the analogy towards the back end of last week and said, if they've opened the door, don't be surprised that people go through it. And Mm. I think clubs will keep asking for games to be postponed. And and how can the Premier League turn down one such application when they've already accepted so many? I think it's only, what, two, two applications that they've seen off. So it's a very difficult situation, much of their own making. And again, just to repeat what I was saying on air, on Friday and Saturday. This isn't a tribal thing. This isn't me bashing Arsenal, bashing Burnley when they got their game called off. It's a Premier League problem yes. that clubs are now using a loophole to get games called off, uh, not because they can't get enough players, but because they can't get a strong enough team mm. to win matches. And that's, got not, their best that's not and that's not how it should be. That's not the way it was designed. Anyway, well, I'm sure
2: we'll that, about that a little bit more further down the podcast. Running order. And we'll also talk about Rafa no longer being the gaffer. And Ralph's wobble in just a moment, but first, let's head to the Etihad. Saturday isn't Saturday unless. It's game day. Big time, top class bouts require big time, top class people in each corner. And we have two different shades of blue. Lukaku's got away from stones. He's burst away to the edge of the area. He's inside the D. He's fed Ziyech, who hasn't been able to convert. I don't care if, if was was on side or not. A, a striker in good form, I don't want to mention his, his price tag because that's irrelevant. But a top striker just sniffs his goal. Oh, it's given away. And Grilish has got it inside the area. Takes on Aretha Balaga and puts it wide of the goal. And I think Aretha Balaga has got something on that to stop Chelsea from conceding. It's Kovacic good. has released Lukaku through the middle of the centre backs. Oh. Takes on the goalkeeper who makes a big save who came out well. Ziyech oh. then gets the return on, on the volley. Sends it over the top of the crossbar. De Bruyne, down the left, he's got the wrong side of Conte. He shrugged him aside. He's moved to the edge of the D. A right footy drive into the corner. What a glorious! Goal from Kevin De Bruyne. Sterling, lovely, swivels through two challenges past Conte, sets up Foden, shoots over the top of the crossbar from 18 yards. What a chance for Phil Foden to finish the game. The full-time whistle goes... Only twice in top-flight history, dating back 130 years or more, have a team won 11 or more games in succession and not gone on to win the title. City have just won a 12th. finished at the Etihad. Manchester City 1, Chelsea 0. Manchester City 1, Chelsea 0. Um, look, gaps at this stage rarely get as big as this. Manchester City look uncatchable. I'm not sure that's a good thing for the Premier League. City fans took umbrage, actually, when I aired that on Saturday lunchtime. But... As I explained in a Twitter exchange with one or two of them, it's got nothing to do with City, really. It's more about the inability of the others to mount a sustainable challenge. Um, We talked about a proper title race in August. Everyone, nobody, there's not one person who said there wasn't going to be a three-way title race this year. Everyone jumped on that bandwagon. But here we are, January the 16th, and it's all over, barring a devon any power collapse. Whose fault is that, Trevor. And what can they do to ensure that we don't have a procession next year? Because actually, you know, they've won it four out of five years or they will have won it four out of five years. And only one of those four years was there a proper title race.
3: Yeah, I would uh, listen, we all know um, and it's difficult to deny that Pep Guardiola is a special manager. Mm. And he's brought a different philosophy, which, you know, even going down the pyramids, a lot of teams are trying to um, copycat that. Um, but I would say Liverpool have not been good enough. They've not been consistent enough, even with a full squad. Chelsea, uh, even bringing in Lukaku, have not got to the levels where they need to get to. And Manchester United, with the signings that they made with Ronaldo and Varane and Sancho, they've not lived up to expectation. That, you know, Sancho can't even get in the starting lineup at Manchester United. So I don't think it's Manchester City's problem, like you just mentioned there. I think it's the underachievement of the other teams that should be challenging. Um, for this title race that I'm not but one thing I would say and you hear this in the Amazon um, feature that Manchester City put out um, Pep Guardiola everyone talks about Pep Guardiola he talks about his players it's all down to the players and the way that the players are taken on board the information that he's trying to share with them and the game plan that he's trying to get them to execute it's down to the players being able to execute it at a very very high standard at Manchester City Yeah
2: and, and they should be credited with being brilliant because they are brilliant but I mean If you're Chelsea and you've spent 73 million quid, something like that, on Kai Havertz, you've spent £97.5 million on Romelu Lukaku and you spent over £40 million on Timo Werner and you look at their goal return in January and they've got eight Premier League goals between them and Bernardo Silva, who Manchester City were going to offload because he was seemingly surplus to requirements, he obviously wasn't, has got eight
4: on his own. That is a real concern, isn't it, Crookie? Yeah, and that underlines the problem uh, because it's a bit of a myth that Manchester City have spent their way to success. Yes, they've spent a lot of money, but they haven't smashed too many transfer records along the way. But their recruitment has been absolutely spot on. And you look Mm. at Manchester United, uh, we're going to talk about Everton later, Listen, they're not in the discussion for the top four. They're not even in the discussion for the top half, but they spent the best part of £500 million and made themselves worse. So Pep Guardiola is not only a fantastic manager, but he's got the right people recruiting players. He can clearly spot a player and knows how to get the best out of those players. For me, I think if you look at the game on Saturday and it was really a a, a replica of what happened in the reverse meeting at Stamford Bridge, it was a 1-0 massacre. um, But they did have a couple of chances, Chelsea. And Romelu Lukaku, somebody they've paid more than £90 million for, didn't take those opportunities. And I think it highlights a problem when it comes to Lukaku. And it was one that Manchester United fans were uh, hammering home when he left Old Trafford. Lukaku is a bit of a flat-track bully. You know, he doesn't score... The big goals. Look, It's not that he doesn't score the big goals. He just doesn't score any goals at the moment. I mean, you know, there's no
2: there's no flat track bullying going on. There's nothing going on. You know, and Thomas Tuchel was quite annoyed about that, actually. After the game, I spoke to him and he was saying, you know, there was one particular great chance that he had. I mean, he was played through the middle early in the game and he tried to lay it off to Ziyech. Why he didn't shoot? None of us knew that. And Trevor articulated it at the time. But he, not only did he mess up the shot... As Thomas Tuchel said, if you are going to pass to the player, actually pass to the player. And that was his quote of the game, I think, afterwards. And he also sort of suggested to one or two in the press conference that he felt as if Lukaku was hiding. His touch wasn't good enough. He let um, Chelsea down in in the, in the fact that he didn't hold the ball up very well. Um, but also, I wonder how much they missed Mason Mount in that match. Trevor, he hasn't played in either of the games against mm. Manchester City this season, and they've lost both of them. Last season, when they beat City three times in six weeks, he started all of <clears> those, <throat> those matches. He was fit on Saturday. There are no problems with him whatsoever. Yeah. But Tuchel thought, I understand, that he'd just come off the bridle in recent matches and he wanted to give him the kick up the backside. I think possibly, that was a major error.
3: Yeah, possibly not the right time. Uh, we mentioned it uh, at the time when we were looking at the team seat when it got announced. Um Especially with Chelsea, when they want to press, you've got two fantastic central midfielders, two of the best in the league, in my opinion, uh, with Kante um, and Kovacic. I thought Kovacic played superbly well in the game, Um, but they didn't have that with uh, Pulisic and Ziyech. And I was really perplexed by this because if you look at Pulisic and Ziyech, they have good, good qualities, obviously. They've got great football players. But when you're thinking about out-of-possession work and what qualities they bring to the Chelsea team, they're nowhere near as good. And I would actually say, I'll go the other way, they're quite lightweight compared to Mason Mount and what he offers Chelsea out-of-possession. So when we mentioned it um, before the game, I thought there must be a little niggling injury where he doesn't feel comfortable starting him or he must be in the red zone or something must be quite, not quite right with Mason Mount. Oh. The fact that he's resting him because if he was like he needs a kick up the backside, I think that's a real error. And going back to when we were talking about uh Lukaku, that was one chance what we spoke about earlier, the other chance was what we've seen Jack Harrison do today against West Ham. Yes. The goalkeeper came out and it's it, it's it's a give me, chip him, take the goalkeeper. Out of the the question, out of the, uh, the 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 problem that you've got, of putting the ball in the back of the net, chip him, and he can't. He doesn't even have the opportunity to make the save. Lukaku tried to put it down the uh, right hand side of uh, Edison, and Edison made a good save. And it, that's that's the important moments in games where you make a name for yourself. And Jack Harrison did that today for Leeds, and Lukaku wasn't able to do that in a big game against Manchester City yesterday.
2: Overall, Manchester City were the best team by a country yeah, mile. In sure. fact, they were so dominant, it was frightening in the match. Chelsea didn't really have much uh, of, of the ball in the game. We've mentioned a couple of their chances. There weren't a lot of chances in the match, actually. I, I thought Kepa Rida Balaga played very well, uh, bearing in mind he was on your the- mate. The losing side. <laughs> Listen, I've, I've, I've said he did well. He's That's, grown up. And he did. He's grown up. He's grown up. He's filled out a little bit. Thomas has changed things for him. He said that himself. The pigeon fancier. It's not. But I it's do feel pigeons. Mendy would have it's saved Finch, that shot. He? he likes finches. I do
3: feel Mendy would have saved that. do He's start. got a wing spam of a jumbo Jets and he probably would have just tipped that around the post. Don't start. Why did you have to, why did you have to say that? <laughs> um,
2: uh, let's move on to Liverpool against Brentford. Liverpool winning by three goals to nil on Sunday. If you are with us, you will enjoy the ride and we will go for everything, says Jürgen Klopp. We are ready to go as much as we can. He was sort of strident crook without saying we'll do it. But, you know, they're the only option
4: now, aren't they? Yeah, and there's still not a very realistic option, was it? 11 points, the gap, I just can't see. Uh, Manchester City, 12 wins on the bounce, dropping enough points between now and the end of the season, even if Liverpool were to win every game. Uh, they didn't have to play particularly well Liverpool to beat Brentford. It was quite flat, actually, at Anfield in the first half, scored from a set piece uh, right on half-time, which would have frustrated Thomas Frank. Good diving header from Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, and just when you think he's... Going to get a break. He ends up going off injured. You know, he's not played 90 minutes in the Premier League since 2018. Uh, Alex Oxlade-Chamberlain, which is a remarkable statistic. Then Brentford give Liverpool the third goal. Uh, Diogo Jota probably saw this as his chance to really step up and prove he could be the main man in the absence of Mane and Salah because it was the first time in 173 Premier League games that Liverpool took to the field without at least one of them in their armoury. He was on the periphery. They'll, they'll face stiffer tests between now and the end of the African Nations Cup, but it was a job well done. And let's switch tack and go to Aston Villa, Manchester United 2-2 on Saturday night.
2: Villa dawdled and dithered in the first half. Manchester United got in front after an Emmy, Martinez Howler. But Manchester United, who used to come back from deficits for fun, ended up giving one away. Philippe Coutinho stealing the show Has Aston Villa poured misery onto United twice in a week? Well, I don't know which one of you wants to go first here, but one of you's smiling and one of you looks really angry. So decide (laughs) it amongst yourself.
4: Do you know what? I was driving home from my game on Saturday, listening to the commentary on Talk Sport and United, it sounded like they were in complete control, certainly for the first half. Villa came back in the second, but United got the second goal. And I thought, that's okay two 0 We're going to win this game. So I called Mrs Crook just to check in, see how she was doing. And by the time I finished the phone call and turned the radio back on, Philip Coutinho was scoring the second goal, the equaliser. I was, I nearly veered off the road. I mean, talk about a collapse from Manchester United and just watching the highlights on Saturday night. They had more than enough chances to put the game to bed before Villa's come back. And listen, when I saw the team sheet before the game, I thought I'd take a point. But when you turn it up away from home, you need to find a way to, to ride that out, particularly against an Aston Villa side who weren't in any great form at all coming into it. You say that, I, I completely disagree with it because that is not true about uh,
2: Aston Villa. I think Gerrard has made an immediate impact on that team. They're competing with more of the top teams than Arsenal have until uh, recently, and that took two years. Their statistics aren't particularly great in terms of the teams they have played. I've been Manchester City, Liverpool, Chelsea, Manchester United recently. They also lost to Brentford, but they actually bossed that game. But if you watched any of Aston Villa over the last couple of weeks, you'll know they have more than held their own mm. in all of those matches. And they were definitely the better team against Manchester United on Monday night. And, you know, I was a bit surprised that they didn't make a better fist of it in the first half against them.
4: I think you're getting mistaken because you're in the Dancing United dressing room. There's no points for merit, for uh, <laughs> artistic impression here. When you look at the raw statistics, Aston Villa have won one in six, two in seven. Who's that That's playing? what I mean. Who they, they weren't play? in any great form at all. We just they mentioned they managed to lose to Brentford. That takes some doing at the moment. Yeah, but that was, a, that was a one-off result. Who did they play?
2: Who are the other fixtures? Manchester United, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool and Chelsea, correct? Aston Villa, but before Gerard took over. Oh sorry. Southampton, but that was before Gerard took over. Right. Okay. So since Gerrard took over, am I right in terms of the, the games that they've played? So,
3: Brentford yeah. was a bit of a. Brentford was Thank yeah,
2: you very much for coming along. Cheers. Uh, it was interesting to hear that Aston Villa could play Aston Villa. Wow. What <laughs> yeah, an amazing no, team that they are. Nice. He really yeah. has done very well. Um, I did love Emmy Martinez's emotional reaction. Yeah. He knew that the error had cost him, and yeah. he's an emotional, forthright guy. He's a passionate guy, and it would have affected him, Trevor.
3: And he's, listen, he's a class goalkeeper, and, and, and we're human. It just shows that football is a human. Even the top players. And uh, he had a clanger for the first goal. The second goal, I thought um, it, was, it was a good finish, and and that's the kind of finish you expect from uh, Bruno because he's not done that for a while for Manchester United. But looking at the the way that I mean, I'm a bit of a romantic and well, you know, Trevor Coutinho, you know, so look at him in his first time round at Liverpool, what a class act he was. I used to watch videos of him when he was a kid in Brazil, and the way that he came on, lifted the crowd, lifted his teammate. Cookies, he's got his hands in his head at the moment, but it was written, was, it was written. it? I mean, his, his impact was sensational and I think you could tell he looked like he was Bambi on ice. His legs were gone when he finished that uh, goal on 81 minutes and even before that, he looked like he was heavy-legged. He's not got the fitness that he needs to be able to impact the game from the start, but coming off the bench as he is until he could get fit... What a great asset that is to um, Aston Villa to have in that squad and to be able to bring off the bench. Manchester United, I have to say, I was, I was disappointed. You know, um, y- you look at the players that started, you look at the performances. I was, I was impressed with Alanga, but in, in general, I was pretty disappointed with Manchester United's performance on, on a whole. Yeah, the young Anthony
2: Alanga, the Swedish winger, actually had a great chance mm. to, to score a goal and came very close to doing so. Let's talk about United in a bit more detail then. You get the feeling that they the players, the fans, maybe even the board, aren't really having Ralph Rangnick, are they? I mean, the club won't let him sign anyone. He's briefing to anyone who will listen that the two-year consultancy that he's going to take up at the end of his contract as the interim manager is going to be either withdrawn or paid up or it's going to be worthless. It's going to be a position that has no power. So is this a disaster that's gone wrong very quickly, a, a misstep yeah. that has been made by the board once again? What, what, what is he going to
4: last the season? I think he'll limp on until the end of the season because of a lack of alternative options. But the more you look at it now, if they were going to bring him in, then they should have just brought him in as director of football straight away and, and probably left Michael Carrick in interim charge until the end of the season with hindsight. Because actually, United did improve under Michael Carrick. They've arguably gone backwards under Ralph Ranier. And the they whole. They were
2: never going to bring him in as director of football because they already have one. Yeah.
4: Remind You're me of murder. him again. Yeah. What a great job he's done, by the way. Um, But the Anthony Martial situation is really a microcosm of where Manchester United are as a football club. They've got too many fractions in the dressing room. Rangnick coming out and saying he refused to play. Martial immediately taking it to social media and saying he didn't. I'm sure the truth is probably somewhere in between, but that should have been dealt with in-house. It was clumsy by Rangnick to come out and say that after the game. And listen, there's a lot of players there who want to leave that Rangnick is preventing from doing so. Donny van de Beek, would he get one minute plus stoppage time at the end of the game? He needs to go out and play some football. Marcel served his purpose. Yes, if you have to swallow up some of his wages, let him go to Sevilla and and, and just, just go and be somebody else's problem. And probably Dean Henderson needs to go out and get some game time as well. So it, it's a mess on that front. And you're right. Why would they let him sign players? Because they know he won't be in charge next season. So why would they let him start burdening the wage bill with players who might not, fit the taste of whoever comes in remember it does look like a a place that really needs a proper clear out
2: doesn't
3: it there's no team spirit there's no togetherness there's not is there Um, that's a real worry isn't it that's a basic a lot of players on different hymn sheets um, you know not even bringing pubber into it you look at what's coming out of the football club you know there's no saying loose lips sink ships that never used to be the case when, and it's not the case when you've got a good leader at the helm managing the football team and it is it's just a mess and you have to feel for players who've just come into the foes you know Sancho's just come into the football club he hasn't hit the ground running he's struggling for confidence Varane he must have been thinking what is he doing you know coming into Manchester United thinking it can't get any worse oh by the way it has got worse and the manager, you know, he, he he's, he's obviously uh, earmarked a few players that he wants to bring to the football club. Now he's assessed the team, and um, that's fallen on deaf ears. So yeah, Manchester United uh, in a bad way at the moment. But like I said earlier, you know, one of the real bright sparks of the game was Ilanga and I enjoyed watching him against. Interesting,
2: thing you say that uh, none of the players are singing off. Uh the same hymn sheet, in fact, different hymn sheets, I would argue they're not even singing the same style of music, mm. which is a bit of an issue. Um, big game this week against Brentford away from home, live on Talk Sport. Looking forward to that. Um, Ralph Rangiton will be in charge for that, obviously.
4: A First visit for Manchester United in 75 years to Brentford. What are you expecting from that game, Crook? Well, they have to win Manchester United because I've seen Brentford twice this week. They were dismal against Southampton. They were marginally better for 40 minutes against Liverpool, but really gave up the ghost in the second half. And I've said it before, I do genuinely fear for Brentford, not this season because there are uh, four worse teams in them, but they might finish fifth from bottom. I wouldn't, wouldn't put, rule that out. But next season, uh, unless they bring in players of real quality, I think teams are starting to find out their style. Ivan Toney is looking at the moment like a player who is too good for the championship, but maybe not quite good enough to make the step up to the Premier League. I think they've got big problems, Brentford.
0: J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.
1: This episode of the TalkSport Daily is brought to you by Enterprise Rent-A-Car.
0: Goodbye my lover, goodbye
1: my friend You have been the one, you have
0: been the one for me Rolls it to Ida, inside the
1: area, he's made it too Oh what a start for Norwich City, Adam Ida magnificent stuff from Norwich my word Everton are up against it the banners back up opposite us in the south stand saying Benitez get out of our club
3: reports that we're hearing official announcements going to come out in, in the next couple of minutes Rafa Benitez has been sacked as Everton manager
4: my love for this city for Merseyside and its people made me accept this challenge but it's only when you are inside you realise the magnitude of the task
0: Dream when I wait,
1: you can break my spirit it's my dreams you take and as you move on remember me remember us and all we used to
0: be
2: Norwich 2, Everton 1 Saturday three o'clock Talksport sport 2 that was a brilliant game. I listened to some of this with Perry Groves and Ian Danter I you must be very excited to hear that your second team Norwich won. <laughs> do, do you know what they're, they're not without a chance now are they when you look at the league table they're, they're off the they're bottom hold on bold claim I think you told,
4: you told us after week one that they were dead and buried in fact before they would even kicked a ball psychologically trevor will know it's massive to get off the bottom of the table they're only a point behind Watford albeit Watford have got a couple of games in hand but I think ultimately this game is more about Everton and, and their deficiencies and their shortcomings than it is about Norwich. Rafa Benitez put out his misery. I thought he released a really classy statement on Sunday night. I thought it was a lot more classy than the forty-word statement that Everton uh, released. I think that was a bit churlish uh, from Everton. It was the you wrong want to appointment. Read it to us? His statement. Yeah, that would be nice. He said we knew it wouldn't be easy and it was a big challenge both emotionally and in terms of sport. My love for this city, for Merseyside, and its people made me accept this challenge but it's only when you are inside that you realize the magnitude of the task from the very first day my staff and myself worked as we always do with commitment and full dedication we didn't only have to get results but we also had to win over people's hearts however the financial situation and then the injuries that followed made things even harder i'm convinced we would have been better once the injured players were back and with the arrival of new signings the road to success isn't easy and sadly nowadays in football there is a search for immediate results and there is always less and less patience unfortunately circumstances have determined the results and it won't be possible to continue this project in any case thank you to the board to the staff to the players and to those fans who have supported us during this time. That's Rafa Benitez in a statement on Sunday night. And as I say, I thought the Everton statement, 40 words, almost as short as his tenure, was a bit churlish on their part. It was a, a appointment that always came with risks attached in terms of the reaction from the fans. But I've spoken to a couple of insiders, shall we say. I think the majority of the players were still behind Rafa Benitez. He's been described to me as a gentleman, someone maybe that is even too nice uh, to be a modern football manager. So whatever problems Everton have got, I think they go a lot deeper than the man in the dugout. I think they could have been classier Everton in wishing him farewell. There's without doubt more problems there than
2: just the man in the dugout. But the issue was he was always going to be the lightning rod because of his association with the red half of the city. He did only win one of the last 13 Premier League matches, Trevor, and that's never going to be acceptable. They're 16th in the table. They're only six points above the relegation places. Um, Look, Norwich hadn't scored in 511 minutes before... Uh, the Toffees came to town and they scored two in their first 18 minutes. Yeah, And we will get to Norwich in just a second. But Everton, they're searching for a seventh permanent manager now since the departure of David Moyes in 2013. They've tried every single possible style of manager. Who do they turn to next? Or do they go back to one of the ones that they'd already had?
3: Well, I think to get a little bit of um, the heart, the DNA of the football club, they go back to Duncan Ferguson. I think he's he's for me we was there when when one of the games um, when uh, they hired their next manager and they played a, a style of football the intensity was right I've played at Goodison Park mm-hmm. in in the David Moyes era and they've got a style where even if they get beat that the, the opposition team's going to have to go there and earn it I've not seen that in Everton they've they've lost that part of their identity and when you listen to that, that, that statement that um, Cookie so eloquently read out, and he talks about he tried to get the mentality of the players ready, he understands he needed to win the hearts of the fans. And you realise that, for me, for me you realise, one, he's, he's a good guy. He's got a good relationship with his players. But two, the lack of strength in that depth and apart from Gordon who I think's been exceptional this season for Everton and the two wingers that Rafa Benitez brought in I don't think there's many plus points in that Everton squad at all
2: Uh, let's move on to uh, West Ham against Leeds what a fantastic football match that was West Ham 2 Leeds 3 an incredible match a brilliant brilliant bit of Sunday entertainment and I you know obviously our friends at Sky were absolutely apoplectic that the North London derby got (laughs) cancelled off their uh, schedules on Sunday. But boy, I mean, this game more than made up for it. It was terrific, Trevor.
3: Yeah, I thought Leeds were outstanding. I've got to say, they started the game on the front foot. They had lots of energy. David Moyes said that he's not going to use it as an excuse, but Leeds haven't played the same amount of games that West Ham have played. And sometimes it can go for you. Sometimes it can go against I think he's worked. Uh, the, the, the manager Bielsa's worked the Leeds players exceptionally hard, and they looked really up for the fight right from the first minute. I thought they started the game exceptionally well, and I think that's where the game was won because after that, you know, one 0 down, West Ham started to compete. It was like they almost got a, a little iron prod in them, and, and they started to compete, and it was pretty level. I thought Leeds probably deserved to win the game, but it was what a wonderful, uh, entertaining game. Um, and I've got to say, Jack Harrison. When you look at his, you know, we, we look at a lot of these players that have had unusual or difficult pathways to 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 where they are and to, to get to make it to the Premier League. Jack Harrison's is um, he's been all over the world, and uh, you have to give him a lot of kudos for showing great resilience. Um, you know, having that ability to keep going and then he made it and you know I think this is a, a real cherry on top of his cake because the, the performance he put in was exceptional his finishing like we mentioned earlier was way better than Romelu Lukaku's and I was really pleased for him being a West Ham man it was difficult to take the loss because I thought they should have drawn the game even though they probably didn't deserve it at the end with the chance that Bowen had where I don't know what he's doing going with his chest he should have headed that in crazy, but that. Leeds were superb and they they were exceptional. It was an absolutely wonderful example of how we'd like to um, show the Premier League to the world.
2: Yeah, they were playing balls down the sides to Rafinha, Harrison, and James, who, who that was unsettling West Ham from the very first minute. They were superb. James running off the ball actually doesn't get any headlines. Mm-hmm. You don't see it no. very much, Super. but it dizzies Diop. It causes him all sorts of grief and doesn't know where he is half the time. And actually, they were unlucky not to be 4-2 up at one stage because they had a shot, Click had a shot from just inside the area and no one was stopping it. It just sort of tickled Daniel James, who didn't... He was too busy actually having a go at Rafinha for not squaring it before that. And as a result of it just touching him, even had it, though it had no impact on the on the destination of the ball, he was flagged offside, which was... It felt a little bit churlish, really, when yeah. you looked at it. But anyway, it was brilliant goals. I do want to mention, Crook, West Ham set pieces because every time they had a corner, it looked like they were going to score. Dawson missed a wonderful chance yeah, he did uh, before Bowen did net from a corner. But they are really uh,
4: dangerous from those scenarios. Yeah, that's no surprise, really, because the one thing we know about uh, David Moyes and Stuart Pierce is that they'll be methodical on the training ground, trying to get every advantage they can. We spoke about Everton and the direction they've gone in they'd have been well advised to try and get David Moyes back I think a couple of years ago and I think their fortunes would have been very different having said that that is a blow for West Ham it was a chance to put daylight between them and the likes of Arsenal and Tottenham uh, and Manchester United a chance they ultimately didn't take and I think the lack of goals for Mikel Antonio continues to be an issue for them
2: Saturday isn't Saturday unless it's game day. De Bruyne down the left, he's got the wrong side of Conte. He's shrugged him aside, he's moved to the edge of the D. A right-footed drive into the corner. What a glorious goal from Kevin De Bruyne. The full-time whistle goes. It's finished at the Etihad. Manchester City 1, Chelsea 0.
1: Newcastle United 1 Watford nil. we said at the end of the first half Newcastle had to get Alan St. Maximan involved He's burst into the box, everyone thought he was going to cross He moved it onto his right foot and he hammered it into the bottom corner past Ben Foster Sergeant outside him, drives it near post, Oh goal! Turned into his own net by Michael Keane. It is Newcastle one, Watford one. The goal has been coming, and it comes with just three minutes remaining. Arriving late with the header, it was João Pedro rolls it into Ida inside the area. He's made it two. Oh, what a start for Norwich City! Walls three, Southampton one, and that
4: should do it now in the first minute of six added on at the end of this game. And the goal scorer is Adama Traore. Collected by Coutinho into the edge of the box, Ramsey with a low cross. A great chance it's in! It's Philip Coutinho has is equalised in front of the whole ten! You cannot ride this!
2: Let's get to Saturday afternoon and Newcastle against Watford, which was probably the biggest game of the weekend in terms of if someone won this match, then all of a sudden their season changed. Maybe we should have thought about the possibility, and maybe we didn't, that they might draw it. And as a result, no one would be any the wiser as to who is going to stay in the Premier League. And so it turned out Newcastle getting themselves in front only to be pegged back by a brilliant goal from João Pedro, uh, but right at the very end of the match. What does that do to the confidence of a team, Trevor, leading for so long against a rival that you... It's, it is a six-pointer. It is the archetypal six-pointer and then losing those that, that advantage in the last few seconds.
3: Yeah, it's, uh, it would have been depressing um, for the manager, for the players, for the fans. Newcastle needed to win that game um, for morale, for belief, um, and for the fans to to really believe in the project. And at the moment, the project, so to speak, we talk about project, it's not taking off. You know, they they've brought in Kieran Trippier, talking about set pieces, Aaron Cresswell's set pieces for West Ham were superb. You brought in Wood, you feel that's a good combination that could um, get quite a lot of goals. But looking at this game, Watford, where they are in the league, it, it, it was a game that needed to win and, They seem to be struggling to get players in the door. And that's surprising to me because I think when you look at Eddie Howe, he's a good manager, he's enthusiastic, he's got experience in the Premier League. It's a massive football club. But for whatever reason, and we mentioned it at the time, the manager is not the most important part of the jigsaw for, for Newcastle. It's the director of football, the people that are going to be going out, doing the deals with agents, with football clubs, to make sure that that pathway is open to bring players in. And at the moment, there is some kind of blockage that's not allowing that to happen.
2: Yeah, Newcastle also dropped an astonishing 21 points from winning positions in the Premier League this season, at least three more than any other side. Um, They only had one shot on target in the game, which was the goal. Um, And you can't argue that Watford didn't deserve it. They had 18 shots, five of which were on target. And there's a very good reason, Crookie, why Eddie Heil has been desperate to get a centre-back in the team.
4: Yeah, but I don't think it's just at the centre of defence where they got problems. Their ball retention in midfield is an issue that puts problems, you know, creates issues for the back four. Keep an eye on Delhi Alley as a possible transfer target. I dug out some old quotes from Eddie Howe from a few years back when he was in charge at Bournemouth, and he admitted that he twice tried to sign. Delhi Alley. When he was at MK Don's, my understanding is that admiration is still there, and he is on a, a a long list of potential loan targets that could well be brought to the football club between now and the end of the window. They're also chasing Robin Guzens, who's a left back at Atalanta. We know they want to strengthen down that left hand side. There after brilliant Luca Dean. By the way, he I'm was a you.
2: German international left back right.
4: until the uh, the summer. I think you picked up an injury. He's he's excellent. Yeah, well, he's on their list of targets as well. They're still chasing Sven Botman and Diego Carlos at the heart of the defence. But Trevor's right. They are struggling to get deals over the line. I think he he also makes very valid points about the fact they don't really have a director of football. I know Nicky Hammond is sort of helping out on an interim basis. But they've had 10 games now, the new management team. It's 100 days since the takeover went through. And I think Newcastle fans deserve a lot of credit because they would, would have expected, I think, more progress maybe than they've seen but they're staying very loyal to the owners, to the management team. The atmosphere at St. James's Park is still good, even when they're chucking points away against relegation rivals in the last minute. Um, can I make a bold prediction? This is going to be like Crookie's bold claim, but it's oh, going to dear. be me
2: who does it, right? You ready for it? You ready? Lucy, you ready? Ready?
0: Crookie's bold claim.
2: Next season, Rafa Benitez will be the manager of
3: Newcastle. Yeah, I, I wouldn't wow. rule it out. I wouldn't rule wow. it out. Just going back on that point I made about uh, Newcastle struggling to get players in, and the director of football. Yes, we've just seen Stephen Gerrard go to Villa. Yeah. he's brought in Philip Coutinho. He's brought in uh, Dinya from Everton.
2: So, what are you saying? If they get Rafa Benitez, they'll be able to get Salomon Rondon back.
3: Well, not that, not necessarily that. But he knows a lot of top class players. He's worked with a lot of top class players, and he's he, he's he's older. He's got a lot more connections with agents. I think that where, where might Where are they be, in Everton then? That might... He's not at the money because they've had an embargo. Come on and catch up. He might be the man that can get these deals over the line. Whereas at the moment, it seems like Eddie Howe, even though he might not have that much power because he's busy coaching the team and, and getting the team prepared for games, he might have the, the, the kind of influence to be able to get some big names in at the football club.
2: Mm, Interesting. Um, I wonder where Adama Traore is going to be next. Um, Wolves beat Southampton 3-1. James Wolves did score a wonderful free kick, an absolutely brilliant free kick. And he's right up there now. You know, he's got 12 Premier League free kick goals, which draw him level with Thierry Henry and Gianfranco Zola. He's behind David Beckham, who had 18. I mean, you can't ask for more. Than, than, than that from James Ward-Prowse, who's been terrific. And Crookie was right to point out that Danny Mills was being a little bit churlish on Tuesday <laughs> night when we were down at Southampton. He's a bit of a curmudgeonly fella, isn't he, Danny Danny Mills? It's like you can't really see joy in much. But anyway, um, I think that's part of his part of his charm. Um, Adama Traore's charm has been over the last year or so that he, he keeps getting great chances and never scores them. Well, he did in the 94th minute of this game. And actually, Wolverhampton Wanderers, probably deserved to win it, but but did the game turn on
4: a very important refereeing decision, which ended up going to VAR? Yeah, it's frustrating for Southampton because um, it definitely wasn't a clear and obvious mistake. Therefore, um, it shouldn't have needed any VAR intervention, but I'm not even sure it was a foul. I think Jan Bednarek um, makes a fair challenge and I don't think it should have been a penalty. So Certainly, that was a big moment in the game it was actually a really good game I expected quite a, a attritional affair because that's what we've seen from Wolverhampton Wanderers this season but it was very open chances at both ends a wonderful free kick from Ward Prowse a sitter from Troyore before he actually got on the score sheet and I do wonder now is that the goal that saves Troyore's Molyneux career because we know there's a lot of interest for Tottenham and Wolves were flirting with the idea of maybe selling him does he end up now staying at the football club and is that the right thing for him and for Wolves long term we'll, we'll find he out he scored a goal well, not only did he score a goal, but I think he did make an impact and he made an impact against Manchester United in that one they win at Old Trafford as well. But isn't so maybe- that why Tottenham want it? Because he can do that. Yeah, but maybe Wolverhampton Wanderers might now think, actually, should we keep this guy around? Because he's still got something. If they offer him enough money, no chance. Yeah, they haven't any money to
2: spend, have they, in January? And, and Bruno Lager has very much bemoaned that fact. If they offer them enough money, he'll go. Um, and maybe that might have been his last act as a a player for Wolverhampton Wanderers. Uh, One other game to look at, and that is the game between Crystal Palace and Brighton down at the Amex Stadium. This was another one where VAR had a bit of fun, didn't it? Um, The first thing was the penalty... Correct call. Brilliant call, actually, because uh, that's what you need VAR for, seeing incidents that happen off the ball. Joel Veltman putting uh, someone in a headlock. <laughs> no, getting in a headlock from uh, Will Hughes. Out. Yeah, Will Hughes. <laughs> oh, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? Well, obviously, the, you do know that they do have cameras here, by the way. Um, and then the, the the goal that was never a goal because Jack Butland's blushes were spared because we couldn't have two Butland blunders in a week, could we? That would have been a nightmare yeah. for the poor lad. Um, coming to his rescue and then a couple of really good goals as well Trevor including one from Connor Gallagher who's just mint
3: yeah I mean I think the goal that Crystal Palace scored was exceptional you know I, 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 I was watching it live and there was great pressure um, on the ball from Brighton as they do press so well as a team and it wasn't until maybe a couple of passes before the final pass that was laid back to Gallagher and maybe one or two passes in the midfield but all over the pitch, high up. And I was pleased for Jack Butland because we've seen him try to play out against in in the cup, uh, make an absolute horlicks of it. The ball ended up in the back of his net. And then I'm looking at this situation unfold I'm thinking, this is a similar scenario. What are you going to do? And he didn't just lever it. He played a nice ball into the centre forward, missed the middle out. The centre forward got hold of it, played the ball backwards and all of a sudden they're into their pattern of play and their yeah. passage of play. And they got the ball to the byline. I thought it was excellent play. There was pressure all over the pitch from Brighton. You can't really criticise the Brighton players for going in ones and twos. I thought they went as a team. It was just really good, accurate skill from Crystal Palace. And the finishing touch, I mean, he had a lot to do. His first touch was superb. And we talk about box-to-box players. Connor Gallagher is not a box-to-box player. He's an inside player. The, 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 the penalty spot player to inside. He, he works tirelessly both ends. That to to that what you mean, you're
2: box-to-box players? You mean most people say, well, the box-to-box midfielder, he can get from one penalty box Yeah, you're to talking the about the D. But you're saying this guy goes from one six-yard box yeah, absolutely. to the other six-yard and box. And
3: then to have that composure at the end of it, um, there weren't much gap to, to hit. His first touch is exceptional, you know, and it takes a lot of work to get in there. So you've got to be able to deal with that situation while you're fatigued, keep your calmness, get your technique right. The first touch was brilliant. Second touch into the side netting. I thought it was a well, brilliant he be goal. in the Chelsea midfield, shouldn't he? I think that possibly will come. He's got to keep him doing what he's doing. But if he continues to do that, he's got a better chance. But you look, you look at the midfield and the players that he's going to be competing against. Well, I looked against.
2: at the, the midfield on Saturday and I actually think, I probably would have preferred to have had
3: him in there. From a physical point of view, yes. And, and both... Pulisic and and um, Ziyech didn't perform too well, but they're two great players that you know he's got to try and supersede and 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 say to the manager, listen, I'm better than them. Pulisic is better. not
2: good enough. Pulisic is not good enough. He's, well, he's, he, start, he started
3: well. At, he started well at Chelsea. I think his he? hamstrings have um, been brought into play and he, he struggled a little bit. But listen, let, let's not take anything away from Conor Gallagher. I thought it was exceptional.
2: I, I don't think Pulisic is good enough for, for for Chelsea's first team. I don't think he's shown that since he's been there. You know, he was bought in at a time when I think they thought he was going to replace um, Eden Hazard. I mean, nowhere near. No, um, Ziyech, I think was bought on the cheap. I don't think he's that great. I mean, he's all right. I mean, he's a proper right winger. He doesn't really get played out as a right winger and out and out right winger. Timo Werner, another one in the Chelsea team that have been spent a hell of a lot of money in. You know, he's got a lot of goals in Germany. Did very very well, but looks to me as if he's got a mental weakness. That's a, that's a worry for me. Um, and I think Colin Gallagher has got the fortitude, the mental fortitude to go back and compete at Chelsea. I think he should. I know he plays in different positions to those he's three players, but he's, he's got a great opportunity. and I think he should go back and take it. Um, just want to talk to us about Brighton and uh, how they got on and how they feel as if the January transfer window
4: is going to uh, pan out because there is one or two links with Graham Potter for the Everton job. Yeah, I, I don't see that. Um, I think he's very comfortable where he is. I think he will know that it's a massive rebuild job. Everton, he's got a great relationship with Tony Bloom, the the owner and the chief executive, Paul Barber. Uh, There's a nagging suspicion that Dan Ashworth might still go to Newcastle at the end of the the transfer window that maybe he's just uh, being respectful to Brighton by not upping sticks in the middle of a window. So do keep an eye on that targets. Yeah. So that's not dead yet. In terms of keeping players, uh, no bids for either Tarek Lamptey or Eve Basuma. So, unless something changes in the next 15 days, they'll be staying. But it was a, a very Brighton performance, really. They dominated the game, didn't take their chances, poor penalty from Pascal Gros. He grabbed, he grabbed the ball from Neil Mopay. Mopay should have taken it.
2: It's the but worst penalty I've seen all year. Oh, it was <laughs> It was dreadful. absolutely dreadful. It was dreadful.
4: And, and uh, Graham Potter in his tenure has now drawn uh, 10 more games as Brighton manager than any other clubs. They still need to find a way to turn one point into yeah. three. But listen, they're absolutely fine. They're looking at a top half finish. They're having a good season and I understand why Graham Potter is on the radar of some big clubs, but... I don't think you will be going anywhere just yet. Hold on. I think
2: I tipped that as well at the beginning of the season. 12-1. to 1, Brighton finishing the top half and obviously my big, big one, which is Norwich, Burnley and Newcastle to go down, which is still live at the moment. Okay, still live at the moment. Although apparently I hate Burnley, according to all the Burnley fans, because I had a go at them for calling a game off at the weekend. Listen, let's um, be honest. If Burnley get relegated, not too many people are going to shed a tear. Well, the Burnley wow. fans yeah, will. But they've I not, will. I like Burnley. They've, Burn. they've, like not, they've Burn. not left
4: an indelible mark on the Premier League,
2: have they? They've left an indelible mark on me because I was cold once. I was at Burnley. They gave me a free coat, a coat I still wear to this day, by the way. And I wore it on Friday when they were all having a go at me saying that I was slagging them off. I wasn't. I was. At, I'm, I am actually just worried about them as a club because I don't think I'm sceptical about the new owner or new owner. He's been there a year now, and we've never seen ownership like it. You've never seen anyone like me be an owner in the Premier League. Okay, if you say so, pal. Um, But I am worried about it. So one of the reasons I've got a bit of a a, a bee in my bonnet about Burnley is because I can see this going very, very wrong for them. And if they are relegated to the Championship, I don't think that will be their last relegation. But hey, I hope I'm wrong because I want them to succeed because they're a very nice club. Um, Right, Trevor, thank you very much for your time tonight. Thank you, chaps. That's it from us. We'll be back on Thursday to look back on some extra Premier League matches that have taken place and look forward to another cracking weekend. Keep listening to and Thank you for downloading the Game Day podcast.